BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Sometimes our commander-in-chief, ideally a polder of the law, fails to inspire us. Take the 1970s. Well, I'm not a crook. Or the 90s. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. And now... BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. The 21st century. I'm an extremely stable genius. You're about to hear two attorneys make sense out of a legal system some say is a train wreck. Here are Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks. This is... BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bradison, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. Yeah, I'm Connor Oaks. Will Smith made some news this week. A little bit. A little bit of news, yeah. Yeah. A little bit of news. They say any publicity is good publicity. That's true. Not sure about that in this situation. Hard to know. So we're going to be talking about whether Will Smith will go to jail for battery 
I'm not going to be betting the house on it, no. but it's an intriguing issue that we're going to talk about. We're also going to talk about uh, something perhaps slightly more important in the grand scheme of things. How did Judge Jackson do in the Supreme Court nomination hearing? A big vote coming up soon. Yep. We'll dissect that. And finally, the ultimate legal cage fight, Connor, Donald Trump versus Hillary. You thought they had a cage fight in that debate yeah. where he was hovering over her. And yeah, or I don't know, the election. Acting all creepy. Yeah, that, right. that's true. Uh, he has uh, gotten some lawyers to file a lawsuit in federal court in the Southern District of Florida against Hillary for racketeering violations and defamation. It's going to be a real lawsuit palooza. Before we get to these big questions, though, I'll give you a little preview of two special features we've got at the end of the podcast. Uh, first, guess the verdict, America's favorite game show. And today, Connor, you're going to be asked to guess the outcome of a case I call the case of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure on a Jury. Imagine Bill and Ted yes. on a jury. So Can't wait. So you're going to be challenged <laughs> to uh, figure out uh, the outcome of that One case. One of my favorites. A classic. And our other feature, our brand new feature at the very end of the show, if you aren't interested in stories, non-legal stories, you can just click and turn off the podcast after you've heard the rest of it, of course. So our feature is called Stories I'd Tell My Friends If I Had Any. To clarify, I have several stories. So I'm going to be sharing a story, a personal story at the end of the show, and the title is How Steve Garvey Saved My Life. Ooh. Steve Garvey saved my life. It sounds the unbelievable, yeah. but true. The Dodger, yes. The former first baseman of the Dodgers in the 70s, then he went to the Padres in the 80s. So stick around for that. So before we get to the three big questions, uh, just kind of a human interest uh, issue, Connor. I'm just wondering what your take on this is. Is Joe Biden lying or is he losing it? I see that was as the only two alternatives. Okay, no los dos. So he said Putin should be out. Right. right. He said basically he said regime change is yes. a really good thing. Well, it took about five or ten minutes before the secretary of state and the press secretary and everybody else in the administration walked it back yep. and said, you know, that's not really our policy. We're right. not trying to change anybody's regime, Putin's yeah. or anybody else. Except we do all the time. Yeah. But yeah, but in this specific case where there's a nuclear uh, arsenal behind it and the person sees their personal safety and, and political future and everything else at stake, suddenly we don't care about regime change at all. We don't do that. Yeah, I, I guess. That's what it boils down to. Yeah. But in today's press conference, mm -hmm. after the Secretary of State and the rest of them walked it back, Joe Biden was asked. He's really kind of gutsy standing up to the he's president. He's very gutsy. They asked him, uh, Mr. President, so what did you mean about your that? Your pals seem to walk it back. Are you walking it back? He said, no, I'm not, I'm not walking it back. Oh, well, gee, God. so you do want him out? Well, here's the deal. He yeah. said, it's yeah. not a policy. Yeah. It's a, a moral outrage. It's moral outrage. Mm -hmm. Really? Okay. So there's a little disconnect there. Let's tie this in with another little controversy of several days ago. Biden, of course, tried sanctions over the last few months to deter Russia, right. and it didn't work. Okay, not everything works. He gave it the old college try. But several days ago, when a reporter asked Biden to comment on the fact that, hey, your sanctions didn't deter, he said, uh, you know, sanctions? Sanctions never are intended to deter. And then, once again, his advisors got on the horn, got mm -hmm. in front of the national television audience, right. and gave their take. Yeah. So let me play a, a little bit of sound about this controversy. Let's get something straight. You remember, if you covered me from the very beginning, I did not say that, in fact, the sanctions would deter. Sanctions never deter. You keep talking about that. Sanctions never deter. 
The president believes that sanctions are intended to deter. The purpose of the sanctions has always been and continues to be deterrence. The purpose of the sanctions in the first instance is to try to deter Russia from going to war. We do see them as having a deterrent I- impact. Okay, so Connor, yeah, do you have I'll, any concerns? All right. Do you have any <laughs> concerns about Joe Biden? I started out being kind of snarky saying either he's lying yeah, or he's yeah, losing yeah. it. Uh, from a progressive standpoint, or any concerns? Oh, I mean, I, I would say from the progressive standpoint, a lot of progressives don't align themselves with Joe Biden, partially for these sorts of reasons and partially for, for other reasons. I mean, there are lots of reasons to disagree with somebody who's closer to you on the political spectrum than, you know, Trump or Mitch McConnell or whoever else, Ted Cruz or some other wacko. But Biden certainly has big flaws, <laughs> huge flaws. That you're worried about being sued for defamation by Ted Cruz? Yeah, Ted Cruz versus Connor Oaks. Defamation. Hey. Any, Southern District of Texas. Any press is good press, okay? Oh, okay. So, yeah, Biden absolutely keeps putting his foot in his mouth about uh, Russia, about uh, deposing Putin uh, and regime change, uh, and also about the purpose of sanctions. Yes. At the end of the day, we've got a really tough, complicated situation that it takes a really, you know, light touch to navigate through. And Joe Biden is not that guy. He's not the... Barack Obama speechmaker. He's not the, you know, statesman who will, you know, deftly He's not navigate. the Dick Nixon charmer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I will say he is the elder statesman, but he's not exactly the elder statesman uh, that, that one needs uh, to navigate these sort of situations. He's classically known as a gaffe machine. That's his whole career has been putting his foot it's in his, his thing. It's his thing, right? So look, should he come out and just spout off and say the things that he feels, which are, is, I'm morally outraged at what Putin is doing, and the world would be better off if Putin uh, weren't in power. I can say that on this podcast right. that Putin ain't listening to, and he's not frightened by, but the president of the United States cannot. Because when the president of the United States says something, that is policy. You can't just say, I, you know, feel this way, and it's morally wrong and all that, but... For, for uh, all these reasons, I, I promise not to do it. I mean, the, the international community, Putin especially, can't trust that Biden doesn't really, isn't really speaking the secret truth that the no. CIA is planning you. and prop. I mean, that when the president talks, it means something. Now, so, a minute ago, you said uh, Putin's not listening to our podcast. We don't know Does that, that make you a self-loathing podcaster? Yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, I'm just thinking yeah. maybe. Yeah. All right. Topic number one among the big topics, uh, will actor Will Smith be charged with battery? So a lot of people are asking the question, well, okay, Chris Rock has said, no, I'm not filing a police report. Right. Uh, is a victim required to step forward and say, yes, officer, or yes, judge, I want this Two crime to charges. be prosecuted. Yeah. And the fact is, California does not require a victim to uh, to support the idea of yeah, a prosecution. Yeah, this is something that most, the, the, the average, you know, consumer of, of news media and, and, and cop shows and everything else. And uh, Oscar shows. And Oscar shows. Doesn't quite uh, get right. Uh, the, the, the colloquial, uh, the common knowledge is, uh, yeah, I'll press charges or I won't press charges. And then it's not up to the cops in reality. It's up to the cops and the prosecutors. They're the ones who are, you know determining what the law is, who violated it, when, and when to bring, uh, you know, criminal charges against him. It's just that the power of having a compliant victim to to testify at trial is massive. And if you don't have the victim at trial, it's going to be a lot harder to convict. Of course, if if you somehow, some way could 
could find a videotape. Some of the crime. I don't know video how you proof. could get that mm, lucky. Just, surveillance tape at 7-Eleven. We do live in a surveillance society. There are cameras you know, everywhere. I bet somebody, somebody was running a tape at the Oscars Somebody show. probably had their phone out, yeah. So you're right. It's kind of complicated. Uh, cops have to decide, uh, district attorneys and judges, how horrible was the crime? That's one factor. What's the record of the guy accused of the crime? Does he have any kind of remorseful attitude? And for the record, Will Smith has just texted or tweeted an apology. What is the victim's attitude? That's a factor. How difficult would it be to prosecute without his cooperation? And things like premeditation evidence. I mean, here, I could see Will Smith saying, obviously he didn't premeditate this. Right. I had no idea he was going to make the stupid joke about G.I. Jane Joe right. or, or G.I. Jane 2. Uh, and so maybe he's got like an irresistible impulse defense that mm-hmm. could work. A civil suit would be possible. But is Chris Rock really going to sue Will Smith for battery? Mm, I, I kind of don't think so. The Academy could take some action. They could yank his Oscar back. Sure. They could. That sounds painful. They could uh, have a formal condemnation. Yeah. It's kind of analogous to a morals clause violation if you're sure. an actor yeah. in Hollywood and if you cause disrepute to be visited upon the Walt Disney Company, then yeah. we're going to kick you out of Encanto 3 or, or whatever right. the deal is. So, But, you know, society's reaction, Connor, tell me what you think about this. My first reaction was a lot of folks might say, he was defending his woman, you know? Right. It's it's the dream of every wife yeah. to have the guy stand up and fight for her. On the other hand, mm. do we want a guy with an anger management issue? I mean, it was right. a bad joke, and you could say it was really bad because it related to the fact that she has this problem with her hair falling oh, out. alopecia. I mean, you know, how far do you go? What if she's bald because she's on chemo? Right. And, and tasteless Chris Rock makes a joke. Wouldn't it's the same thing, yeah. Wouldn't be more sensitive or, or receptive to Will Smith's action? But I think at the end of the day, a lot of people are seeing him as kind of a thug who just can't control his emotions. You know, this weird marriage they've got, apparently the reports are, if you believe the tabloids, she cheated on him, Jada cheated on Will Smith. Who knows what kind of emotions are swirling around. I mean, yeah, it's but, a but rocky, to stand up and... Sure. The, the other thing that got me, though, is he's a lot bigger and stronger than Chris Rock. In a way, you know, it's not very uh, honorable to, to march up there and, and attack him when, let's face it, in a, in a street, Chris Rock would be un, on the street, unlikely to go back after him. And Chris Rock is doing a job. He's trying to keep the show going. Will Smith can march back to his seat, which he did. Right. And But Chris Rock has to stand there, you know, wow, in yeah. front of millions of people the whole world. So I don't think it looks so good for Will Smith. Yeah. And obviously, there's no uh, easy answer to this sort of scenario. Um, there are easy answers, glib answers that people can fire off, saying things like, well, assault is illegal, or or, uh, criticizing somebody, uh, you know, lampooning them, uh, mocking them over a medical condition uh, is is cruel or or rude or wrong. Uh, But in, in reality, the reason that we have the trope of uh, the husband standing up for the wife and and using violence is uh, toxic masculinity. We have the notion that that Will Smith uh, was was he, he in his head. The reason he did this is because he felt he had to had to use right. violence to stand up right. uh, and and ha- had to show uh, what was correct and use violence to enforce what was correct. He did not have the confidence uh, to step back and know that society would uh, uh, have his back 
in uh, in in saying Chris Rock's yeah, let the market were system work in yeah, terms of who condemns market, who yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and Jada Pinkett Smith similarly did not have uh, the confidence, uh, of course, naturally, she, nor nor should she have had the confidence to know that people would condemn Chris Rock for the joke that he made. They certainly wouldn't have. They would have let it pass. The the joke that Chris Rock made was inappropriate and was cruel and shouldn't have been made. And the the reality of the situation is because of the power uh, uh, of in my opinion, uh, you know, a gender dynamic where Chris Rock can stand up and make that cruel joke and that people will not call him out for it because women's appearances are, you know, they're, they're judged for their appearances and men are free to criticize women. Especially as in Hollywood. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that he was going to get away with it. And as a result of him having going to you know get away with it, Will Smith felt the need to do something about it. And the way that Will Smith did something about it was an expression of toxic masculinity, the same problem that caused the thing to happen in the first place. It, it is, it's an Ouroboros, right? It's, a, it's, a, it's a, a, a snake eating its own tail of toxic masculinity. There's no good guy in this scenario, although... Obviously, one can say that, that Will Smith was animated by a, a desire to protect and, and, and stand up for someone he cares about. But and, and there's no similar you know, motivation that one can point and ascribe to, to Chris Rock and say he was doing this for the right reasons. He wasn't. Uh, but the, the, the reality is that neither situation would have happened if not for this, this idea that men should you know, visit cruelty and violence which are two sides of the same coin on other people. That that is the problem, and there's there's no solution to that without a societal reckoning that says one should not be cruel to others and one should not use violence uh, to to you know f- for retributive justice on others. But that is the foundation of society. It's how we resolve disputes. You mentioned the uh, snake eating its own tail. It'd have to be like the world's hungriest snake, very really. hungry, yeah, or and, confused. And, and don't you think wouldn't it stop when it got to like something important like the pancreas? Yeah, yeah, or, probably. Or the, or the bowel. Yeah. yeah. Definitely so. For sure. Yeah, 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 for sure. So this has been an important discussion on a very high level, Connor. When we come back, it's going to be even higher level because we're going to talk about how Judge Jackson did on the Supreme Court hearing. So stick with us. We'll be right back. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. So how did Judge Jackson do in the uh, Senate Judiciary Committee hearing? Um... Some interesting moments the Republicans threw some curveballs at her. Like, for example, can you define a woman? Senator Marsha Blackburn asked uh, Judge uh, Katanji Brown-Jackson about the definition for the word woman. Um, Jackson could not define the word. Can you provide a definition? No, I can't. She, she said, no, I'm not a biologist. You mean the meaning of the word woman is so unclear and controversial you can't give me a definition? Senator, in my work as a judge, what I do is address disputes. If there's a dispute about a definition, people make arguments. I look at the law, I decide. So, no, I'm not in a position to do that. Obviously, the Republican senator in this case and others wanted to tee up some social issues. Mm. They know that they can't stop her from being confused. Firm, especially right. now that Joe Manchin of West Virginia has said, "Hey, I'm I'm fine. I'm on board the uh, the train. We're gonna we're gonna confirm her." Um, and you know, obviously, Lindsey Graham asked some unusual questions concerning, you know, what's your faith like? How often do you go to church? And so on. That's was, one way to put it. He unusual. wasn't. He wasn't trying really to find out, you know, how many times a, a, a month do you go to a church? He just wanted to dump on Diane Feinstein, who talked about Amy Coney Barrett and said, you know, the dog must speaks loudly within you. So isn't that a problem? And so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the other question, Connor, was, well, when does life begin? And she says, I, I can't really say when life begins now. I mean, I would think 
that she, you know she could have said you know there's no right or wrong or, or perfect answer to that the point is i deal with legal disputes that are presented to me you can't really expect judges to have answers to you know philosophical religious questions like when life begins right it, bottom line do you think the republicans hurt themselves with these lines of questioning or yeah, you think, I think it, they, it was helping them tee up a good solid midterm performance which i think is what it's all about i think that they did hurt themselves Somewhat, because uh, I think that uh, Katanji Brown Jackson is so popular, uh, historically popular among the American people when polled. Apparently, Gallup found 58% of Americans uh, uh, in their polling thought that she should be confirmed, which is an enormous number. It's it's historically high. It's the highest in, that they've found in a result since 1987 with Robert Bork, uh, apparently. Um, it's, it's an incredibly high number. And so um, when you've got nothing uh, and you pound the table and you're loud, like Lindsey Graham was and like Ted Cruz was, um, they and like these other you know Republicans who who just used it as a stage to grandstand. Um, of course, there's a segment of the population that that loves that, and I, of course, it's going to cause them uh, to to get fired up and turn out. Uh, and they're doing that for that reason, and and that is going to gain them some votes. But I think it also will lose them some votes. And I'm not one to concern troll and stand up here and, and tell them uh, you know and have it all come down to well who's going to get more votes and when. I think that there is moral status to these actions. I think that what the Republicans were doing was wrong. Uh, morally and and and, and silly uh, and and shouldn't have been done. But but more than that, I also, in addition to that, do think it is going to lose them some votes because it, it, she's just so incredibly popular that you're going to get a bunch of moderates who say, you know, I don't love. Uh, uh, Mitch McConnell or, or anything. Uh, I don't love Ted Cruz. I don't love Lindsey Graham, but sometimes I hold my nose and I vote for these Republicans. Um, but, you know, nobody wants to feel like they're on the wrong side of history. And they, the Republicans do risk turning off uh, some amount of the middle. That said, big picture, most of the time, this grandstanding nonsense works. This is, I, I think they only just barely overstepped the bounds into probably lost themselves some net votes. I think that generally these horrible uh, incendiary tactics in which the Republicans, uh, with which the Republicans poison American discourse are beneficial to them. And so ordinarily I'm up here saying it's morally wrong, but they're going to win votes. This is one of the few cases, uh, I think, where they actually lost some votes because it was such a shoe in um, that Ketanji Brown-Jackson would be confirmed. I mean, as a justice, she's so qualified and has the support and has the numbers, and there's no reason to think she wouldn't be uh, successful. And so I think it would have been uh, more uh, powerful for the Republicans uh, to to sort of uh, just just uh, build up credibility instead of tearing it away by saying, okay, yes, of course, this one is good. And that would have given them more standing, perhaps, to oppose the next. So this is the era we're in, uh, basically ever since uh, Ted Kennedy went after Judge Bork in the 1980s right. and said to him uh, and to the nation, Judge Bork's America is an America where Jim Crow returns and women are forced to have back alley abortions. And that really introduced us to this notion that it isn't just, well, let's look at their uh, LSAT scores and their and whether they were in the law review. It, politics is definitely uh, injected into it. Uh, let's talk for a second about nuts and bolts for, uh, for Judge Jackson. The mm -hmm. Judiciary Committee has 11 Democrats and 11 Republicans. If there is no majority 
to vote her on to the full Senate. The fact is she may still advance. Senate rules say a motion by the full Senate can say, no matter how she does in the committee, yes, we're going to have a full vote in the Senate. And of course, here, the Democrats uh, almost certainly would be able to win that because, right. especially with Manchin on board and probably some Republicans, you know, Murkowski, Collins, maybe Romney would vote for her as well. And if it is 50-50, Kamala Harris is there to break the tie. Uh, let's talk, Connor, about our third and final topic, namely the ultimate legal cage fight, Donald Trump against uh, Hillary Clinton. This uh, kind of came out it. of the blue. I, I had no idea he was planning this. Uh, Donald Trump has filed a lawsuit in federal court in the Southern District of Florida. He clearly picked a district he thought he would like. Uh, however, it, the odds were with him. Nine of the 16 judges on that court have been appointed by Republicans. Guess what? Hmm. He he got assigned a judge who was appointed by a Democrat. And, Bummer. And as well, a, you got you miss every shot you don't take. Yeah, and and as a result, um, you know, I don't. I'm not saying it's necessarily an absolute Dead loss. Water. For him, but uh, was a Clinton appointee. Yeah. So who knows? Maybe yeah. he will recuse himself. Don't don't bet on it. Though. Don't bet on it. Anyway, the uh, the lawsuit is against Hillary, the Democratic National Committee, the Perkins Coy law firm that was involved in in the opposition research and the the Steele dossier and so on. Debbie Wasserman Schultz, John Podesta, James Comey, Peter Strzok, uh, the whole deal. That's the interesting thing to me, Connor, is that. When you file a civil lawsuit like this, it's right. for racketeering, it's for defamation. It's not a criminal deal. It's civil, but it permits discovery, depositions, testimony yeah. under oath, it's subpoenas. True. You can supplement the special prosecutor's efforts because this uh, special prosecutor that A.G. Barr appointed, he's still working to gather evidence of Obama administration officials violating Trump's rights in launching the Russiagate investigation, you know, with the Steele dossier and so on. I don't know what the political impact of this will be. It probably comes across as just politics to most people. But if all this discovery with the depositions and the subpoenas, if it turns up evidence of you know, a plot to frame Trump, I guess it actually could end up helping him regardless of how the actual suit turns out. In reality, the, the lawsuit is not going to turn up anything, and it is— only going to be your crystal balls working pretty well there. Yeah, huh? exactly. I can rub it to a, to a, a, a gleaming shine and see uh, <laughs> that that this is going to be, you know, nothing substantive. But it will allow Trump to uh, point to uh, an actual lawsuit that he's got going and it's currently happening. And oh boy, we're really going to find some stuff in this. And, and that is important uh, to keep his cult sort of status going, right? He needs his followers to get a breadcrumb every once in a while to disappoint them, uh, to, to sort of counteract the disappointment uh, of, for example, uh, you know, crowding together in Texas to watch Robert Kennedy come back from the dead, only to discover, oh yeah, I guess he stays dead. You need, you need to have these big culty events every once in a while to sort of keep people going and have them, you know, give them more lines to, to spew back and forth at one another. That is very important, you know, for the, the, the MAGA crowd, which yeah. is a cult, right? And you need, for cult psychology, you need big public events that, that pull them uh, together so that they can reference these sort of conspiracy theory touchstones. Do you and think there's any chance, any chance the judge, Donald uh, Middlebrooks is his name, uh, will say, I'm, I'm not comfortable hearing this case because, in fact, her husband appointed him to the federal bench. Any chance he'll step aside? I mean, half the people on the federal bench were appointed by Donald Trump, so he's going to be handing off to one of them. So 
Well, there are Bush appointees, so there are appointees other yeah. than guys yeah. or gals who got there Frankly, from Clinton or Trump. I think it's a zero percenter because uh, it, to do that would be for the judge to admit that he is somehow <laughs> swayed by the fact that he was appointed uh, by this person. And, and that is something that these judges can never admit. It is the ultimate uh, uh, concession, the ultimate failure that they would be somehow a Bush appointee or a Clinton appointee and have this that is, matter. This is the gigantic complaint, by the way. The lawsuit runs over 100 pages. Oh something God. like 600 uh, paragraphs. Pardon the expression, Connor. It reads like a Russian novel. Oh, okay. Nice. If, you, yeah, if you're with me on that. No, it, 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 it has to be that long because in the nature of lawsuits, this is the only document that matters. Lawsuits are like putting a poster up in the public square. Everyone can come read your complaint and see what you accuse the, the, the defendant of. But then in discovery, we find out what the actual facts are. People answer questions under oath uh, in writing or in, in depositions, uh, and, and those facts will be connected to reality because people will be uh, testifying under oath and thus uh, working under threat of perjury. The pleadings, the document, the, the complaint uh, is, is free from that danger. Uh, you can accuse people of basically anything you want, um, and the only you know uh, recourse uh, is to be sued for malicious prosecution, but, but which as, is very unlikely. As to you see. know, though, because of some cases uh, by the name of Iqbal and Twombly, of love all those things, names, my favorites. Yeah. Uh, there, there's a doctrine in federal court now that says you better have some pretty decent facts to back up your allegations, or or the defendant may get the case dismissed. Yeah. Yeah. A motion to dismiss early on before right. all the discovery and so on. But and Iqbal and so Twombly, that, that the lawsuit could fail on that basis. That's true. It, famously, the Iqbal case, Iqbal was somebody who was detained uh, post 9-11 um, and uh, he was, it was a civil rights case, basically. Um, and he was saying, look, um, it, it changed the, the federal pleading standard from from uh, from uh, notice pleading to fact pleading in, in some in some um, in some way in some sense it, it's arguable to the degree to which it went uh, that far but basically uh, the idea was well you can't just say something uh, that's unsubstantiated it has to be keep, factually plausible yeah, it, it can't be, just be oh right. Hillary blew up Pluto right. with a crossbow <laughs> exactly exactly really right but but the, the the fact is that Trump can include in his complaint things like Hillary blew up Pluto with a crossbow, as long as the foundation of the lawsuit is something that's based, based in fact. And that's why you can put all your crazy conspiracy theories in there. As long as you say, I'm suing uh, her because she tarred me with the brush that I was, uh, you know, a, a, a Putin plant. And also she blew up P uh, Pluto with a, uh, a crossbow. And then what? Uh, the, the, that's the silliest thing I ever heard right. of. Why would you say something like right. that? And, and even then, Pluto in that situation, if, uh, you know, the. Trump, um, uh, if, if, if Hillary brought a, a, a motion saying, let's kick this lawsuit out, she would have to, you know, slice and dice the silly parts from the real parts and the fact-based parts from the other parts. And at the end of the day, the lawsuit would persist because there was a factually plausible, you know, claim that she was engaging in some conspiracy theory. No, no support for that. Uh, it's not going to be borne out by the facts, but it's factually plausible that somebody might have a vendetta against their political opponent and tar them with an unfair brush and defame them and commit RICO violations. Those are all plausible things. And so you can say anything you want that goes along with it. And it will you know, be a, a fruitless task to try to parse those uh, things apart and decide what stays and what goes. So Hillary won't even try. Her uh, In the Washington Post, uh, her spokesperson uh, responded with a single word to the lawsuit. He said, nonsense. Uh -huh. 
Well, when we come back, uh, we're going to have our two features, Guess the Verdict and the stories I'd tell my friends if I had any. Stick with us. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Noel Oates. And I'm Connor Oates. So, Connor, are you ready for the uh, the challenge, America's favorite uh, game show, Guess the Verdict? So ready. I'm going to give you the facts of a real live case, and you get to guess the outcome. And if you uh, get it right, you're going to get a big bell like that. Ooh. Okay, here we go. A Jacksonville, Florida jury in a mail fraud case had lunch together every day. That's good. You know, yeah. the jury that lunches together, deliberates together, or something like that. What was their average lunch, you might ask? Okay. Maybe a sandwich? Uh, no. Ooh, a salad. They're keeping it light. No. They don't want to be bored down by a bunch of carbs, you Good know? guesses. Yeah. Good guesses because it's important. You might lose focus in the afternoon if you're all carbo, you know, loaded and tired. Let's start with three pitchers of beer. Ooh. Mixed drinks a carafe of wine, and four of the jurors regularly smoked marijuana during the trial. This is awesome. One juror ended up telling the judge when some of these facts seeped out, we felt like we were on one big month-long party. So this is why I titled this Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure on the Jury. So when word of the party leaks out, the man who had been convicted by this jury, who knows what they were thinking, if they were thinking at all, other than where are they going to get their stash, um, so it leaks out, he's convicted, and he files an appeal. So your Obviously. question is, your question is, was the appeal successful by this poor guy convicted of mail fraud by, you know, these slackers? Yes, absolutely it's going to be successful. Uh, uh, but I, I got to say, folks, if you're on a jury and you care so little about the result of this trial, <laughs> that you are going to uh, get drunk and high at lunch uh, every single day. And fat. Then all you you have to exonerate. Like, guys, come on. You obviously don't <laughs> care about the outcome. It doesn't matter to you at all. And therefore, just exonerate the guy. I mean, come on. Then you're safe from this whole, you know, inquiry. It's not going to become an issue. He's going to go free. No appeal will be filed. Uh, the state is much less likely to pursue. Uh, and so you're good. So you're guessing that the appeal was successful. Yes. I'm sorry. No way! I'm sorry to report that SCOTUS, it went up to the U.S. Supreme Court, and they announced that drugs and alcohol do not rise to the level of, quote, outside influence, for example, bribery or threats that are traditionally required to overturn a verdict. So, sorry, the mail fraud guy just rotted in prison, and the the jury went off to rehab together. Huh? (laughs) Wouldn't that be good to have, like, an intervention? No. All your family members? My Sorry. Ra- Sorry, Connor. I wanted to hit the bell for you, but... Uh, My you know. batting average is going down. I, I got to stop going the way I want things to turn out. <laughs> I got to start going the way that actually yeah, that that's appeals Think with your head, not your heart. Yeah, exactly. When, I, when it comes to the American legal system, there's no heart. There's only uh, legalese nonsense. <laughs> I get it. And now we come to the non-legal portion of the podcast. So if you're not interested in this dopey personal story I have about how Steve Garvey saved my life, yada, yada, please feel free to resume your normal life. But if you'd like to hear it, I'll, I'll just lay it on you. So let's start at the very beginning. A very good place to start. I, uh, I played uh, Little League Baseball as a left-hander, of course. Uh, you get put on first base. Now, they could have put me in right field, but 
you know, I, I was able to play first base uh, in addition to right field, so so I got to to be a first baseman. And of course, as a first baseman, you notice who else? Well, there's uh, Lou Gehrig, so you root for him, and Gil Hodges. And then came Steve Garvey, so I was a huge Steve Garvey fan, big star for the for the Dodgers in the '70s and I guess into the '80s. Although he ended up going down to the San Diego Padres. So how did Steve save my life? You ask. Well, um, in 1980. The All-Star Game uh, for Major League Baseball was held at Dodger Stadium. And being a big Steve Garvey fan, I thought, well, gosh, you know, I'd like to go see my hero do his thing at Dodger Stadium, the home field, at the All-Star Game. So I put my name into a lottery. That's how you'd get tickets to the All-Star Game back then. And uh, so... What do you know? I, I won the lottery in the sense that I had the chance to buy a ticket. It wasn't exactly a Mary Hart ticket, you know, right behind home plate, field level first uh, first row. No, it was uh, probably 10th row in the right field bleachers. But that's yeah, okay. You're in the stadium, you know, you're there in the same ballpark as your hero. So I go to the ball, I go to the All-Star game in uh, July 1980. And as luck would have it, um, I probably started in late afternoon, and uh, the sun was going down, but just approaching uh, the top of the stadium. And as a result, basically the whole game, I'm staring right into the sun. And wow, what a whopper of a headache I got. I mean, I it was blazing. I could literally barely remember my own name, my own phone number. So I kind of stagger. I, I get to my office, which is a couple of miles away, and basically I just lie down on some senior partner's couch and, and try to collect myself. And uh, you know, after a few hours, I call home. I talk to my wife, and apparently I'm just sort of incoherent, and she's freaking out. And so I somehow get home. And what happens the next day, she says, all right, that's it. You're going to the doctor right away. I'm thinking, oh, what do you mean? I had a headache. You know, what the, what the heck? I'd had some migraines over the previous years occasionally. But, you know, this, no, no big deal, right? Well, she thought it was a big deal. So she forces me to go in to see the doctor. And what do you know? The doctor takes one look and says, whoa, we're detecting some uh, papilledema here. Uh, so they, it, it showed them, uh, confirmed by a CAT scan, that yes, there is a brain tumor about the size of a golf ball, as it turned out. Not a baseball would have been more appropriate, probably. And uh, within a couple of days, they got me uh, on the surgical table, and out it comes. Boom, good news. It was uh, benign. Uh, several months later, after rehab, I'm basically back to normal and I'm back to uh, back on the job and the doctors told my wife boy it's a good thing he, he came in here and she's patting herself in the back she says oh yeah pretty good he's they said yeah uh, it was such a problem with this uh, pressure on the brain and with the uh, growing of the, the tumor and the papilledema he probably would have been dead within a month so Steve Garvey saved my life. So thank you, Steve. I haven't met him since then, so I haven't had a chance to uh, thank him personally. Uh, it was kind of a fun uh, rumor around the firm that I heard about years later. Uh, I was uh, talking to a fellow younger lawyer who's uh, working with me, and he said, you know, Royal, there, there was this rumor about you that was going around uh, concerning your, uh, oh, your, your attitude toward people uh, before and after your uh, brain surgery. And I said, oh, what's that? And he said, well, you know, Royal, you're, you're a pretty easygoing guy. You know, even if things are kind of falling apart, you're, you know, you, you have an even keel and you, you don't lose it. 
what we heard was that before the brain surgery, you were a total yeller and screamer. I mean, you had the worst temper in the world. And after the surgery, somehow, uh, you became a very placid, uh, a calm guy, which to me sounded a little like a lobotomy, but he didn't put it that way. So anyway, bottom line is, um, lucky me, I survived. Thanks to Steve Garvey. And uh, Steve, maybe someday um, I'll, I'll meet you. And I know, uh, Steve, uh, if you're listening, that you did consider a career in politics at some point. And if you want to throw your hat in the ring for the uh, the Senate uh, campaign, you know, Diane Feinstein isn't going to be around forever in that job. Doggone it. You can count on support from me. We'll see you next time on Too Many Lawyers. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories. Stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts.